This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.56 a.m. Central Daylight Time. God, I can't wait for the time change. Go back to normal. It is the 30th of September, 2020. This is episode 296 of Bitcoin and let's learn all about the Emin contract. Yes, Bartek Kipuzuski, I think it's at B-K-I-E-P-U-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I on Twitter. Oh my God, that'd be a great radio call name, man. If you were confused how the hacker managed to drain Emin contract, Here's the exact mechanics of what happened. Now, he's talking about Eminence, that new project from Andre Cronje or whatever his name is. He's one of the guys behind Wi-Fi, I think. Pretty sure he's the dude behind Wi-Fi. I should know, but I don't give a shit, okay? (laughs) But some of the stuff is interesting. Like, the failures here are interesting because they're informative. As to whether or not they actually succeed, I could just, I couldn't care less, man. I, uh, sorry, drinking some coffee. M in contract allows you to buy mint M in with dye and sell and burn. It uses quite standard Bancor's bonding curve. Dye is used as a reserve currency for the M in token. The price of M in token is determined by the amount of M in versus amount of dye in their reserve. The second token, E-A-A-V-E, is similar with the small but important caveat. It's using Emin as a reserve currency, but virtually. If you buy Mint E-Ave by sending it to the Emin tokens, instead of storing your Emin in the reserve, E-Ave contract will actually burn the Emin. If you sell burn A or uh, the E-Ave ENS tokens will be minted, This interplay allows the attacker to run the following trades all automatically in one transaction. Number one, flash loan, 15 million die from Uniswap. Two, buy as much Emin as you can with your die, ignore the amount. Three, spend half of your Emin's to buy E-Ave. This will burn the Emin's, decreasing the total supply, which will pump up the price of Emin. Four, sell your second half of the now pumped Emin's for 10 million to uh, 24,579 die, note that this is much more than the 7,500,000 die. Five, now sell your Eave to reclaim back your first half of Emmons. The Emmons are minted and this will decrease the price of Emmon. Quote, or six, sell back your Emmons for 6,649,057 die. Number seven, return $15 million flash loan. Enjoy $1.6 million in die profit. 
This has been repeated three times in three separate transactions, so nine cycles altogether, like the one here, and he gives, gives an Etherscan address. This is what is known as gaming the system. How do you limit gaming? Well, you limit access to, to surface area. The, the same thing like in, in the Bitcoin world, we talk about surface area and attack areas. It's all the same. It's, it really is. It's all the same. The more nooks and crannies that bacteria, viruses, lions and tigers and bears of mine can get their hooks and claws and freaking teeth into, that's where they, where they will put their hooks and claws and teeth into. The smoother your surface and the less surface that there is, the, least, the less likely it is for somebody to figure out how to get their hooks into the nooks and crannies. But what was just described, this seven-point plan to completely rip people off, those, that's the surface area. The fact that all these things are interconnected and that there's so many of them, everywhere one thing connects to another is a nook and cranny. And the, the amount of nooks and crannies that are here to hold on to is incredible. And this is just one example, right? This is just the, the example of the eminence token uh, coming from Andre Cronje. Can you imagine the mess of bullshit that is, is in the entire ecosystem of, of uh, DeFi? The absolute amount. At this point, you're not talking about a smooth ball that's coated in grease that's hard to get a hold of like Bitcoin. You're talking about a century years, centuries old tree with tree bark that even a baby could climb up to the top of because there's so much shit to hold on to. That's what we mean by attack area or, quote, attack surface, okay? So for all of you who still think that DeFi is a good idea, I would run like you're running from the California fires or, or from the presidential debates. <laughs> did you see, or actually I did not watch. I couldn't. I was never planning on watching it. It was a surprise to me that it was even coming up. The only reason I found out about it is that my Twitter feed blew up and made me laugh for 90 minutes straight. The only thing that I know about the debates is what I saw in my Twitter feed from you guys in the Bitcoin world, because my Twitter feed is, I just use my Bitcoin list. I've got like 1,300 or 1,500 accounts on my Bitcoin Twitter list. That is literally all I need. And you guys, you guys made me cry laughing for almost 45 minutes straight. And then I had nothing left for the, for the next 45 minutes. But what is making me laugh this morning is the failure to launch. Apparently, the Ethereum devs need another trial run for Ethereum 2.0. Soon, TM. Uh, the Spadina testnet, meant to focus on Genesis block creation, suffered from low participation, partly due to technical issues. This is written by Jeff Benson, September the 29th. That would be yesterday for Decrypt.co. Let's see what he has to say. Spadina. <clears throat> the internet, the intentionally short-lived Ethereum testnet and dress rehearsal for ETH2 Genesis ran into some problems when it launched today. As a result, Ethereum 2.0, the forthcoming proof-of-stake network, will need at least one more dress rehearsal, 
said Danny Ryan, the developer spearheading the testnet efforts. Spadina is a short-term testnet specifically for trialing Genesis or the creation of the first block on Ethereum 2.0. The second largest blockchain network is moving from proof-of-work consensus to proof-of-stake. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. And along with it, theoretically, to a less congested blockchain with lower gas fees. I'm going to halt right there just to say that this is happening in the middle of the entire DeFi thing. DeFi right now absolutely critically depends on Ethereum 1.0. All those miners that are mining Ethereum 1.0, do you really think, especially with DeFi going on, that they're just going to up and quit? Nope. There's going to be a split. Ethereum is about to fork. It's going to be a hard fork. There will be Ethereum Classic Classic. There will be now Ethereum Classic. And then there will be whatever the hell Ethereum 2.0 is supposed to be called. I don't know. But there's going to be a split. Those miners are going to continue to mine this chain. And DeFi may or may not move over. I'm sure there will be some idiots that will take DeFi projects. Uh, or I don't think they'll take them from Ethereum 1 to Ethereum 2, they'll just spin up new bullshit. So get prepared for that. This is all that Ethereum is good for, is spinning up scams. Spadina is separate from the ongoing Medalla testnet, a general sandbox meant to represent an up-and-running version of the proof-of-stake network. By contrast, Spadina replicates the beginning of that new network. Testing out its creation is important because before the proof-of-stake chain can get up and running, at least... 16,384 validator nodes must be running the networks, the network and have collectively deposited over half a million Ethereum. The testnet proved useful, spotlighting some areas for improvement. The first area, low participation. <sighs> Coupled with confusion and invalid deposits, as Prism Labs noted, the result of bad look, for this Genesis rehearsal, though testnets are by their very nature less used than full-fledged blockchains as they lack much utility for non-developers, Ryan said. Quote, small errors in the, in the client release process greatly exacerbated this problem, resulting in one-third participation in the first few epochs. So, the blockchain didn't start correctly. Jesus, you can't even start the car. Okay, this isn't them riding down the road, wrecking the car into a palm tree halfway through their freaking trip to the store. They can't even get the shit started. Prism said that should be no problem to deal with. Quote, the issues with finality was not a critical bug nor a consensus error, but something rather due to configuration parameters, which can be fixed with a release. After that, everybody needs to head back and try again. Thus, Ryan and others in charge of ETH2 testing have scheduled another dress rehearsal known as Zinkin, late next week. For that to be successful, Ryan said testnet participants need to up their game. As this is a dress rehearsal, we ask you to take Genesis seriously. <laughs> Please, buy my book. <laughs> if you don't know what that's from, I, I, I won't go into it. It's a 90s adult cartoon. Anyway. Only make deposits for Val's you intend to run. That's V-A-L-S. I don't know what the hell. Maybe it's a typo. And if at all possible, be attentive in the 24 hours leading up to Genesis upgrading your node if necessary. So what do you, is it possible you're going to, to re, do a release within, before, you know, this is, God, what a circus. I thought, 
I thought what people were thinking about the debates was calling it a circus, but this, this is a dumpster fire inside of a shit show on the, uh, in the three ring circus. This is hilarious. Or if Ethereum devs are convinced the actual production is going to be a hit, they can always just stage another dress rehearsal. That's the end of the article, but certainly probably not the end of ETH, although it damn well should be. Bitcoin acts let you track Bitcoin development and pay coders for their work. Colin Harper is writing this for Coindesk. If Bitcoin is decentralized, who funds its development? This longstanding question, historically answered by the quiet work of volunteer Bitcoin developers, now has a new response, a website that allows Bitcoin users to pledge payments for protocol upgrades. The brainchild of Pierre Rochard, Bitcoin Axe, that's A-C-K, it stands for, well, it's AC, Bitcoin Axe, aggregates pull requests for protocol improvements from the Bitcoin Core GitHub or encoder vernacular. ACK means that a proposal, sorry, A-C-K means that a proposal or change passes muster. Okay. The website has been around for a couple of years, but Rochard just rolled out the new feature, a pledge option that allows users to commit funding to a specific protocol improvement and pay developers once that improvement is merged into Bitcoin Core. Bitcoin Axe was born from the 2017 scaling wars, Rashard told Coindesk. The bedlam of online debates over block size increases in SegWit made Rashard realize that a well-organized, transparent repository of Bitcoin's development was necessary for both Bitcoin builders and its consumers. Quote, after the 2017 scaling drama, I decided to get more informed about the Bitcoin open source development process and see if I could find a way to be helpful. One challenge I had was finding pull requests with a specific criteria I was interested in taking a look at. Pull requests were that were old but had good reviews. Pull requests that had been rejected by reviewers, etc., 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 he told Coindesk. Quote, there are 13,600 closed pull requests and 388 open ones for most contributors. This is an intractable amount of data to digest. A second challenge was that all of the data related to pull request discussions is siloed on GitHub, and I want a local copy to query quickly with an SQL. That's when I decided to build Bitcoin X. Nice. The website aggregates pull request comments from developers on GitHub to help developers stay on top of pull requests' status. On the site, each request is accompanied by its upvote and downvote count, the pull request's author, the date the request was created, who has reviewed it, when the last commit was made in the repository, and whether or not the request has been merged into Bitcoin Core Library for development in a protocol update. With the latest update, Rochard has included a pledge feature whereby anyone can pledge to pay contributors for their work on specific pull requests. These pledges can be paid out via Lightning or on-chain payments processed through BTC Pay Server. Those funding development will be able to choose which developer they want to pay for a given pull request, and Richard told Coindesk that there are no penalties or enforcements for holding a user to their pledge. It's up to the user to, des to decide when and if they want to pay out a pledge based on whether or not they are satisfied with the work. I like Pierre Richard, but I'm taking this as a bad idea. I'll, I'll talk about why here in a second. It's not an entirely bad idea, but remember what I said about attack surface? We got one here. If too many users flake on payments, though, Rochard said he'll take actions to mitigate such bad behavior. This could involve using discrete law contracts. That actually makes sense. To create smart contracts, uh, smart contract insured settlement. In this case, 
if a user pledges funds to a developer for a pull request, when the request is merged successfully, this request is revealed to the smart contract to release payment. Bitcoin Axe crowdfunding mechanism is the first in Bitcoin's open source landscape. No, it's not. Before you could sponsor individual developers, but you couldn't directly fund individual upgrades. Okay, that may, I was thinking of, of Matt O'Dell's, uh, uh, the thing that he set up to help developers get funding. But yeah, that, that okay, yeah, that's just for de- individual developers and not actually for the, for the ACK. Quote, to me, Bitcoin Axe is how all work should be done. Limit orders, pledges, are put in by capital owners. <clears throat> workers create value and the capital owners send cash directly to the workers. If a capital owner starts spoofing or unfairly reneging on pledge- pledges, they get kicked off the platform. If workers don't create value, then they don't get paid. This quid pro quo gives its users an avenue to express their desires for the Bitcoin protocol's development while giving developers another source of revenue. Bitcoin Axe then opens a new developing frontier for both average users and developers. Usually open source funding has been the realm of cryptocurrency exchanges or other Bitcoin related companies. These actors will often offer six figure lump sum grants to independent developers to fund their work as we've seen from Kraken, Square Crypto and others. Now these high rolling sums can be matched. If not in kind, then at least in spirit by the smaller sum contributions of the Bitcoin community. Rochard emphasized that this model could even help fledgling devs get eyes on their work by sponsoring a bounty for their own pull requests. Ultimately, Rochard sees Bitcoin acts as another building block for bankrolling Bitcoin development. It's complementary hand shovel to the corporate giant's bulldozer facilitating focused feature specific work where the grants allow for more general developer specific labor. Quote, I think... Corporate giants work great for funding a specific subset of open source work, independent, self-directed work. It's funding a public good that has positive externalities on the ecosystem, and I think every profitable business should be doing it. Bitcoin Axe is for funding targeted specific outcomes. For example, perhaps your business needs a specific API feature. Rather than asking for favors or hiring full-time contributors, it's more convenient to put a bounty on it. At press time, 11 pull requests have received pledges ranging from 10,000 Satoshis to over 2 million Satoshis, or SATs. The two most popular projects, a Bitcoin improvement proposal, or a BIP, for Taproot, and another for encrypting messages between Bitcoin nodes, have received pledges of 2 million SATs, $214, essentially, uh, and 1.2 million sats or $132 respectively at time of writing. Okay. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm thinking. It's not that this isn't a good idea. It's a great idea. It's an awesome idea. And I didn't mean to, to frame it that way when, when I went off on it first, but it does open up an attack service. I think that this shit can be gamed to get, developers to look at something that is less important. Like I could see somebody like a whale that for whatever reason loves Ethereum and hates Bitcoin uh, using this to shift attention away from something like Taproot to some bullshit like that doesn't really matter. But because they put such a huge bounty on it and they can afford it, it shifts developer attention away to that thing uh, or uh, away from something important like Taproot and encrypted messaging between nodes to this, I don't know, s- s- changing a color 
in the code or something. I, I have no idea, but you get what I'm saying, right? And then not paying for it when it's done. And if this is multiplied by 100, that's a problem. That's a real problem, especially if they just never, ever, ever pay. And then all of a sudden, the developers just, they don't give a shit about the bounties. They're not even looking at the bounty board because it's been hacked, or not hacked, but it's been, it's, it's been misused so many times. And even if they went with discrete log contracts and they were forced to pay, if they have like shit tons of money, they could be going, oh, all right. I'll convert a whole bunch of Ethereum into into Bitcoin and then put this bounty on this absolutely worthless thing that has so much money on it that developers may very well leave the work that they're doing on really important stuff to go work on stuff that is not so impactful on, on Bitcoin. I'm just saying this is an adversarial space. This is nothing against Rochard. I love the guy personally, and I think this is a great idea. But if we're not thinking adversarially, then we are not doing our job. Global economy is saved. Reddit's moon token has 2.64 septillion market cap. <laughs> you want me to read that one again? Let's just read the whole damn thing from Samuel Haig out of Cointelegraph sometime this morning. In defiance of Reddit's apparent wishes, crypto traders have devised a way to exchange the social platform's community points tokens for fiat, and it's resulted in a pretty surprising market cap. In May, Reddit announced it would begin distributing ERC scam tokens, I mean ERC-20 rewards tokens, on the RinkB testnet among users of its cryptocurrency and Fortnite subcommunities in the form of moons and bricks. The tokens are distributed according to a user's contributions to the respective subreddit. XMoon pairings appeared on XDI Network Exchange HoneySwap last week after Reddit introduced a feature allowing moons to be converted into, quote, coins. Moon holders can now trade the tokens by converting them to XMoon via XMoon.exchange and then exchanging the XMoons for XDI surface area which can be converted into the stablecoin DAI at a one-to-one -one ratio via HoneySwap, yet another surface area. Reddit's crypto community token is currently changing hands on HoneySwap for 0 0.08 cents worth of XDAI pairings for XMoon. Or pairings for XMoon have generated $174,000 in volume over the past 24 hours. Now, according to Etherscan, more than 30 septillion moons, okay, now, septillion, how many, I think that's like over 20 zeros, I think. Uh, to see. Uh, yeah, it's like 24 zeros after the three, something like that. Septillion, not billion, not trillion, not quadrillion, not quintillion, not sextillion, but septillion. Okay. I mean, honestly, anyway, 30 septillion moons have been distributed to roughly 7,800 addresses, meaning that the token's market capitalization is roughly $2.6 septillion U.S. By contrast, the entire global economy was worth roughly $133 trillion in 2019, suggesting that the creation of moons has increased the value of the world's economy by close to 2 trillion percent. Who said crypto wasn't good for the economy? After trading for approximately 0.015 pennies for its first two days of trading, XMoon rallied to post all-time highs of 35 cents 
on September 26 before retracing back to $0.05 cents by September the 30th. Reddit is currently hosting a contest for developers working on scaling solutions that could facilitate the launch of the platform's token on the Ethereum mainnet, ideally before 2021. What, you don't want to wait for ETH 2.0? This is a pit full of stupid that has no bottom. 30 septillion moons have been mint. Why would you even do that? I mean, even if it, even if they were worth 0.0 and 23 zeros and then a one, why, why even do the math? Why go through all this bullshit? Just, again, it's a bottomless pit of stupid, and I can't get my head around it. Online marketplace Toffee adds fiat to Bitcoin conversion. Maybe there's some decent stuff in here. This is out of Will Heisman writing for the BTC Times. Toffee, an online marketplace <clears throat> for digital goods, is partnering with Fiat on Ramp Wire to allow merchants to efficiently convert fiat payments into Bitcoin, negating costly processing fees and jurisdictional banking restrictions. According to Toffee, the decision to integrate with the Fiat on-ramp came in part due to the fact that very few customers were willing or able to spend Bitcoin, despite several vendors favoring Bitcoin payments. Who wouldn't? With the new partnership, customers can top up their Bitcoin balance directly via Toffee using debit or credit cards. The platform further plans to implement a feature to facilitate the automatic uh, what conversation of Fiat payments for merchants wishing to accept them. I think they meant conversion. Quote, this integration will be useful for sellers living in areas where there are very few, if any, financial services available. Our partnership with Wire helps sellers in those countries earn more money online by indirectly being able to accept credit cards while they receive Bitcoin, said Toffee founder Yusef Abdul Hassan. For many online merchants, the ability to accept fiat payments is not a given, especially in emerging economies. Access to seemingly global financial services such as PayPal is highly restricted with over 80 countries excluded from the payment platform. Wow, dude, 80 countries? Whole countries? Jesus, PayPal, did you want a business? God. Bitcoin, meanwhile, remains unfettered from international banking restrictions and borders, allowing anyone anywhere to accept the cryptocurrency as payment for goods and services. Though through the addition of a fiat gateway, Toffee hopes to increase the potential clientele for merchants on this platform, regardless of their location or nationality. Now, there's going to be pushback by people who, who are just like diehard holdlers and, and, and God bless you. But there's, I have a, a slightly different take on the hodl only thing. The Bitcoin that I have, I hodl. Okay. I won't say how much that I have because that's just stupid. However, I think with the new tools like LN, LN Strike, okay, the Lightning Network Strike out of, out of Jack Mallers, that thing allows me to just say, hey, you know what? I want to buy this magazine from Citadel 21 <clears throat> and um, I don't want to spend any of my Bitcoin, but I mean, dude, with an extra step, I can just dump some dirty, nasty, icky fiat in there and convert it to bit it's automatically going to be in bitcoin and, and make a lightning payment so i think that that for me okay not not for you unless you want to do it 
I'm just saying that for me, it's a way for me to show my disdain for the fiat system by converting it into actual money and then using that in a Bitcoin economy. Okay. So that way I get the best, I kind of get the best of both worlds. And yes, I know it's probably impossible to have your cake and eat it too. I'm just saying that, and I know I'm doxing myself to, to authorities whenever I'm doing this, but I got to do something. I can't, I cannot go through analysis paralysis all the freaking time. Otherwise nothing happens. Okay. So I'm going to just continue to do this. I'm going to continue to use tools like LN strike and anything else that I can find to convert crappy, dirty fiat into actual money. And then using that because it'll help. I think it, it'll help may not help me because I'm doxing myself to authorities, but it's not like I'm buying boats and cars and planes and shit. You know, I'm buying a freaking magazine. Honestly, do they care? I don't know. I mean, and they may not have to care because algorithms, I'm just going to leave that for another rant, but moving on institution, institutional investors want to hodl Bitcoin says a report. Matthew DeSalvo is writing this for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. institutional investors are moving towards holding Bitcoin in physical form instead of cash settled futures. A report from cryptocurrency derivatives exchange Zuber says that's Z U B R. Such investors are also undeterred by the volatility of the biggest cryptocurrency by market cap and are thinking about holding onto the asset in the long term. The report adds the report institutional investors turn hodlers on Bitcoin futures markets. That's the title published last week concludes that institutional investors are relying on related exchanges, regulated exchanges to get involved in Bitcoin derivatives. Derivatives are tradable securities or contracts that derive their value from the underlying asset. They have frequently been used by institutional investors and the existence of Bitcoin derivatives might help draw more of these investors to the cryptocurrency space. Just hold the underlying asset, dudes. In the world of Bitcoin derivatives, physical form means that Bitcoin itself will be delivered to the investor rather than a cash settlement in fiat like dollars and euros. Well, at least we got that. Quote, it's clear that there is increased demand from institutions such as bank and hedge funds to execute on regulated exchanges. CEO, Zuber CEO, okay, Zuber CEO, Ilgar Alekparov said in a report, a fully regulated marketplace keeps both institutions and retail investors safe, as well as push venues to provide an effective and consistent service. Put a tie on that suit speak, bro. That's born out of the, by the statistics in the past year. Bitcoin futures trading volume hit over $4 trillion. That's trillion with a T. According to the report, the surge in interest in Bitcoin investment is mainly seen at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and through BACT, a crypto derivatives company read by the, run by the Intercontinental Exchange. Both have had higher trading volumes this year. Yeah, no shit they have. Interest in physically settled Bitcoin derivatives specifically is becoming more important. The, re- the report notes, using BACT as an example, Zuber says that at the start of the 2020 cash settle futures accounted for over 50% of BACT's total traded volume, though by August physically settled futures on the exchange accounted for 72%. Yikes, dude. And again, <clears throat> I mean, at least they're settling this stuff in physical Bitcoin. At least we got that. But derivatives, I don't know, man. They scare the piss out of me. I'll tell you what else scares the piss out of me. We'll find out when we run the numbers.
Energy futures are all down. This is out of CNBC.com. Futures and commodities. Oil is down or West Texas Intermediate is going to come in at, God, 38.9. That's $38, almost $39. It's down almost a full point. Brent North Sea crude is down a point and a half. Natural gas is down uh, almost two points. So there you go. Gold is and silver and platinum are all down. Gold is down almost two-thirds of a point. Silver's down two and a half. Platinum is down two and a bit. So gold is going to come in today at like somewhere around $1,890. Let's see what we've got going on with the indexes. Can you guess? Okay, so the carnage is, from the debates isn't as bad, apparently. I, You know, it should be. From what I understand, what happened to the at the debates, we should be down at least five points across the board. But no, that's not what's happening. Dow Jones futures is down a little over a half. S&P futures is down a half. NASDAQ futures is down a little over a half. And the S&P mini is down a scant 0.14 points. Jeez, you know, whatever. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at $10,726.84. Let's see what my high is. It's going to be at bit asset at 10735 Do I have a low? Yeah, it's going to be over at Coinbase Pro at $10,711. That's, I guess, so that they can get a bigger fee, premium fee, when they sell suckers, Bitcoin. Why is, I, no, because you're buying out of Coinbase, you'd be a sucker, okay? Not because you're buying Bitcoin. At least you're going to get that on the other end. Screw Coinbase, even though Brian Armstrong did do something fairly decent, but I have trouble believing he actually means it. Why? Because he's Brian Armstrong. I mean, Dude, the guy flip-flops all over the place. Anyway, 327,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours. That's about 13,500 transactions on average per hour. That has sent totally 2.3 million BTC around the horn in the last 24 hours, which means that almost 100,000 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 7 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.053 BTC, or about... 570 bucks. Block times have stabilized or well come down a little bit. We are at now at 10 minutes and 17 seconds, which seems more in line. We have uh, half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 81.24 BTC being, being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We had a small bump in hash rate to the upside and we are sitting at 132.3 exahashes per second. Ethereum is at 355 and a half. Bcash is at 227 and a half. BSV is at 175. Litecoin is at 46. Ethereum Classic is at 5. And Dogecoin is at 0 0.0026. 38,500 transactions in the last 24 hour, four hours puts Doge on top of Ethereum Classic and Bcash. But let's see, Litecoin. Yeah, got 141,000 transactions. My Lord. Wow. Clark Moody, he's looking at $10,700 for the price. Lightning Network is at, let's see, 1,114 BTC. That's about 12 million in capacity. 7,567 nodes. That's 37,406 channels. 49.7% is the average, well, sorry, is the percentage of the Tor capacity. That's 554 BTC 
on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and there are 2,464 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Malaysian billionaire steps down to pursue horse currency offering. Welcome to the shit show that is probably going to become the second part of the morning roundup. Turner Wright is writing for Cointelegraph sometime very early, well, okay, very late yesterday. Quote, I am handing over the public listed company's business to new directors and I will concentrate on cryptocurrencies said the 65-year-old, the founder of Malaysian investment giant Country Heights Holdings, is stepping down from his position to focus on issuing a cryptocurrency. According to a September 28th article in news outlet The Edge Markets, billionaire Lee Kim Yu, also known as Lee Kim Tiong, will no longer be the executive chairman of Country Heights as of January 2021. Quote, I'm handing it over. To concentrate on cryptocurrencies. Good God, we got another one, y'all. The 65-year-old announced in 2018 that Country Heights would be pursuing the development of an ICO, or initial coin, offering for, for the firm's own cryptocurrency, reportedly called horse currency. Or I guess that would be horse coin. I don't know. It's more and more stupid as the days go on. Though the investment... Firm's shareholders initially approved an ICO at a meeting in 2018. Lee's decision to step down is currently one of the few options available that would allow him to legally pursue an ICO. In January, the country's financial watchdog, Securities Commission Malaysia, stated that ICOs must be issued only through approved crypto exchanges, not publicly traded companies. Under these regulatory guidelines, one of Lee's private firms, once licensed, can take control of the Country Heights project instead, issuing tokens while the investment firm can still legally accept them. <laughs> okay, it's not exactly brilliant, but at least he's doing, at least he, again, this is how you game the system, by looking for the cracks to put your nails into so that you can claw your way up, all right? He claims to have received all the approvals necessary for one of his investment firms to proceed and plans to launch horse currency by the end of the year. Me. <laughs> My investment banks are in operation and a white paper will be issued. Oh, yay, a new white paper. If successful, Lee's ICO venture would make Country Heights one of the first publicly listed companies on Malaysia's stock exchange to accept crypto payments. Before the regulatory change, initial reports of the ICO stated Lee planned to issue 1 billion tokens, the firm's subsidiaries, including a luxury resort called Palace of the Golden Horses, and the Golden Horses Health Sanctuary, purportedly where the crypto asset gets its name, would accept the tokens for products and services. However, the executive said he would continue to pursue other aspects of the crypto space, including security token offerings. Lee, who has served as the executive chairman of the investment firm since 2016, is Country Heights' largest shareholder, owning more than 27% of the company's 275 million shares. The firm currently has a market cap of roughly $72 million. Uh, Horse pucky. Bitflyer Europe launches cross-border trading with Japan. Andrew Yang writing for BTC Times. 
Sometime yesterday, cryptocurrency exchange Bitflyer now supports cross-border trading on its platform as per a release shared with the BTC Times. The new feature will give the exchange's European users access to one of the largest Bitcoin markets in the world, and that would be Japan. The Japanese cryptocurrency market is one of the largest in the world, with over 2 million active addresses in September, according to statistics shared by BitBank. According to BitFlyer, approximately 20% of global Bitcoin to fiat trading volume is further traded against the Japanese yen. However, accessing this market has been notoriously challenging for international traders, requiring, requiring them to jump through various legal and regulatory hoops. Quote, before now, it's been virtually impossible for traders with euros to participate in the BTC-JPY trading pair without going through multiple extra steps and or sign up processes, bringing unwanted inconvenience and delays, said Andy Bryant, CEO of Bitflyer Europe. Bitflyer launched in 2014 in Japan, a few months before the collapse of Mt. Gox. Since then, the exchange has, expand, oh, has expanded internationally, establishing subsidiaries in the U.S. and Europe. Bitflyer is the first cryptocurrency exchange that is licensed to operate in Japan, the EU, and the U.S., claiming to own 70% of Japan's Bitcoin BTC to fiat market, Bitflyer anticipates the new feature to especially benefit traders looking to handle large volumes. The increased liquidity may allow for faster execution of trades, reducing the risk of slippage and the spread between buy and sell prices. Quote, our objective has always been to create a truly global cryptocurrency trading platform that allows users to benefit from the scale, depth, and liquidity of one single marketplace. Liquidity is a constant challenge for cryptocurrency markets and is essential to ensure the future growth and sustainability of BTC and the cryptocurrency industry as a whole. I disagree. Today's announcement is a huge step forward in that regard, says Yuzo Kano, founder of Bitflyer Group and chairman of Bitflyer Europe, about the launch. Well, okay, so liquidity insofar as being able to buy liquid Bitcoin for yen. Yeah, I, I get that part. We, we, we need that kind of thing. But liquidity in Bitcoin is going to start to dry up as more and more institutions start to, to get this stuff going on. It's uh, it, supply is going to become scarce. And I'm surprised right now that supply isn't already scarce. OK. The the stuff that I get riled about is when they talk about we need trading. And I mean, like coin swapping, like one shit token for another shit token, and somehow fiat and Bitcoin is involved on either end of that. I don't need that. And you don't need that. And the whole damn system doesn't need that. That's just injecting a whole bunch of stupid into the system, and we don't need any more stupid. Continuing on, we're going to go to this one from Shara Malwa out of Decrypt.co. Regulators don't trust the crypto industry's self-regulation, says survey. <laughs> you think? September the 30th. Oh, that's today. Uh, let's see what she has to say. A, a sur or he has to say. A survey published Tuesday by the Royal United States. The Royal. Oh, sorry. A survey published Tuesday by the Royal United Service Institution, or RUSI, UK's oldest defense and security think tank, found banks, governments, and crypto executives share vastly different opinions about the self-regulation of cryptocurrency industry. According to the report, 63% of banks and 56% of governments saw digital currencies as a risk. Really? You think? While only 9% in the cryptocurrency sector agreed. You think? Really? The latter group 
was also regarded to be much more confident about their own tools and risk management policies than respondents from traditional sectors. That's a whole paragraph full of duh. Right? <laughs> I mean, dude. But the confidence over such self-regulation may be inflated. Quote, the crypto industry appears to have a great amount of confidence in their own abilities to counter and detect risk, whereas the government doesn't have nearly as much faith, said Kyla Insman, a research analyst with RUSI. The survey, which recorded 566 unique responses from regulators, intelligence units, and crypto industry officials, noted criminal activity and usage of crypto was a concern across all respondents with over 70% voting for this aspect. Such concerns included the risk of, here we go, money laundering via cryptocurrencies and the purchase of illicit materials on the dark web, the use of crypto for funding terrorist financing and human trafficking, and even initial coin offerings. Okay, yeah, that's the laundry list, and it's the same every single time. I call it narrative. But there was a disconnect in these concerns. Government officials and regulators viewed such risks highly while the crypto industry downplayed any long-lasting effects. In fact, Crypto industry officials noted that crypto transactions offered more transparency than fiat and were, hence, more beneficial in terms of security. The survey found that cryptocurrency professionals were largely aware of the potential risks in the nascent industry compared to respondents from media, political, and traditional backgrounds who were less aware. However, traditional institutions also showed a far higher likelihood, 78%, to seek guidance on crypto topics from non-governmental organizations and blockchain associations than from governments, the survey noted. As a silver lining, the respondents unanimously agreed that the use of cryptocurrencies is expected to rise in the next five years, but it remains a concern. Quote, all sectors agree that the use of cryptocurrency is on the rise, but we know that there's no clear consensus on domestic regulatory action. This risks opening the doors to illicit activities, said Isenman. The lack of laws and regulations has led to crypto businesses like exchanges and wallets to largely self-regulate the industry to protect their users, such as liaising with each other whenever an exchange hack occurs or if fraudulently gained crypto is making the rounds. And while it has worked so far, such as last week's $150 million hack of a crypto exchange showed, the regulators don't seem convinced yet. Okay, so that's the end of the article, but $150 million is probably wrong. They're talking about KuCoin, and that's getting up to past, way past $200 million at this point. Just saying. 93% of the top 250 shitcoins declined in price in September. Anupam Varshini, or Varshni is writing this for Cointelegraph.com sometime early this morning. The DeFi hype faded in September, dragging prices with it. Over the last few months, DeFi protocols, including Yearn.Finance, Compound Synthetics, and Chainlink, have seen their token prices go through the roof, sparking talk that the long-awaited bull market might be here. The DeFi boom is built on Ethereum and propelled ETH's price rise from $100 in March to $470 in August. However, the DeFi euphoria has been fading in recent weeks, and there is bearishness in the rest of the market, too. For the past two weeks, ETH price has been hovering at around $350. And according to Coinmetrics, 72% of the top 250 crypto assets have declined in price a week over a week, and that number increases to 93% for the month-over-month analysis. Looking at Mesri's DeFi chart across September, most DeFi tokens corrected by anywhere between 15 and 85%. Uh, Shitcoins such as 
BZX Network and Curve and Swerve and Ren and Balancer and Thorchain and Synthetics and Ave and all this bullshit are all like basically crippled. To better understand what's going on here, let's look at a rolling seven day metric using the ratio of assets making new 30 day highs, less a ratio of those making 30 day lows. <clears throat> the chart shows bearish levels not seen since the sell off in March of this year but thankfully still a long way from the depths of the crypto winter in 2018. While the recent pullback has some traders wondering if the party is over, trend reversals are common in bull markets. During the bull market of 2017, there were numerous price retracements, yeah, but that's not really for DeFi. And, oh, well, okay. See, that's the thing is that DeFi has changed the entire landscape for altcoins, well, actually just shit coins, whether they were altcoins, ICOs, IEOs, I, governance tokens, whatever, it's changed, okay? So I really believe this is comparing apples to oranges, but just seeing 95, 93% down on the DeFi market is thrilling for me. For instance, in early 2017, when Bitcoin hit $1,180 for the second time, it triggered a massive sell-off and the top cryptocurrency fell by almost 40%. And of course, that didn't stop Bitcoin from reaching an all-time high of around $20,000 later that year. It, in its newsletter this week, DeFi World suggested corrections were normal and just part of a larger trend, adding this, adding this year reminded them of 2016. Quote, we move in bubbles in four-year cycles. While everyone is just thinking about what happens today, this week, or this month, you should zoom out and reflect where we are really heading, the long-term trend is clear. It's upwards. DeFi hasn't been around long enough to be a shit stain on the underwear of a 95-year-old. Okay? This is, this is an incredibly stupid comparison to make. Going, talking about DeFi in terms of what happened in 2016 and 2017 is ridiculous. Please, stop doing it. Okay, I know I'm the one that read it to you, but again, you got to know what's going on out there. I mean, if you don't know what's being said, you're going to get hosed. U.S. lawmakers just passed a crypto bill. Oh, joy. Here's what's in it. The T Digital Taxonomy Act and Blockchain Innovation Act snuck through the House as part of the Consumer Safety Technology Act, says Jeff Benson, who's writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. The Digital Taxonomy Act and Blockchain Innovation Act, both introduced by Representative Darren Soto, have been approved by voice vote in the House of Reps. Okay, so it's got a long way to go, but be aware that it's out there. The acts were rolled up into the Consumer Safety Technology Act, a bill directing the Consumer Product Safety Commission to explore applications for AI or artificial intelligence earlier this month. If passed, the bill would take steps toward protecting the public against scammy projects while using blockchain to fight fraud. It's a superhero with a cape. The Digital Taxonomy Act directs the Federal Trade Commission, a consumer protection agency, to train up staff and allocate resources to identify and guard against deceptive acts or practices involving digital tokens. It further mandates the agency to produce a report for the House of Committee on Energy and Commerce as well as its Senate counterpart, the Committee on Commerce, Sciences, and Transportation, detailing its efforts to fight such deception and outlining actions it has taken. See, look what we did, Dad. The Act frames digital tokens and blockchains as important for American innovation, and it asks the FTC for recommendations to ensure the U.S. remains competitive while limiting abuse. Well, at least that's sensible. 
Quote, as lawmakers, it's our duty to ensure the United States continues to lead in blockchain technology, said Rep. Rep. Soto in a press release. The Digital Taxonomy Act adds greater jurisdictional clarity for a strong digital asset market in the United States. The Blockchain Innovation Act, also rolled into H.R. 8128, has a similar consumer protection approach. It requires the Secretary of Commerce to consult with the FTC and other agencies to produce a report on the benefits of using blockchain technology to combat fraud. It asks the secretary to determine best practices in facilitating public-private partnerships in blockchain technology and ways in which greater regulatory clarity would encourage domestic innovation. Blockchain technology has an incredible amount of potential for innovation and economic growth, said Soto. I believe our government needs to support that growth, establish light touch regulations to ensure certainty, project innovation, stop fraud, and enable its appropriate use for government, businesses, and consumers. We already have that. It's called Bitcoin. Blockchain and cryptocurrency bills have had a tough time getting through Congress. Darren Soto, a co-chair of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus, has introduced or co-sponsored multiple bills pertaining to digital assets. He co-sponsored two bills last week the Digital Commodity Exchange Act and the Securities Clarity Act. Both of those bills would have major regulatory implications, but the congressman indicated he's fine with small steps. Quote, the study mandated by the Blockchain Innovation Act is a starting point meant to give government agencies a chance to make recommendations before any bills pass with a regulatory effect, he said. These recommendations will perform an educational function to members of Congress and will pave the way for more actionable blockchain-focused legislation. H.R. 8128 will now make its way to the Senate. <clears throat> and that's the end of the article. Except it just, it dawns on me here that, how to, how to term this? They're, they're dancing with a ghost. I don't know if that actually makes sense to you. So let me, let me try to outline that just a little bit. It's like Bitcoin was born. We're down this road. We've got, we're doing our own thing. None of us particularly give a shit about what the governments think. There are people that do, but for the most part, the developers are like, I don't care what HR 8150 screw you has said about Taproot. I'm building Taproot. They're going to build encrypted messaging between nodes. They're going to build different ways to create wallets. They're just going to build this shit. And they're, they've been... These guys have been tired of asking for permission from the government to build shit since the 70s, all right? Otherwise, we would never would have gotten the internet. Nobody asked permission of the government to build DARPA. I mean, in fact, the DARPA guys that, or the ARPANET that first came out in God only knows when, 60s or 50s, they were part of the government, but they were like, they weren't like asking the president or Congress to, to allow them. They were just hooking shit up. And then they said, Oh, Hey, look, this works. We'll tell people about it. And then all the shit rolled, started rolling downhill, but it was a little bit easier at that time because ARPA was part of, well, then got turned into DARPA and then it's all the government, right? Bitcoin, not so much. You got way many people working on this project from very disparate countries, right? They're not all in the United States. They're all over the world. They're in all different jurisdictions. And I guarantee you that 80, over 80, if not 90% of these people do not give shit one about what the government says. 
whether it's our government or their government and people that are developing for develop, uh, developing Bitcoin from the United States don't give a shit about what Greece has to say about it for the first time. All right. So now they've latched on, the government has latched onto the word blockchain. That's all they can latch onto. So they're, it's, they sort of split off what they can split off to take it into their world so that they can play with it and dress it in pretty dresses and dance with it and serve it tea. I don't know, but that's what it looks like to me. Screw all these guys. I'm going home because this is the last one that I'm going to do this morning. Trump lost and Bitcoin won the first presidential debate. Poor Joe. He was not even mentioned. Frederick Vold writing this for CryptoNews.com sometime this morning after last night's first presidential debate between Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. Crypto traders are betting that the likelihood of a Trump win in the election is far lower now than before the debate. Meanwhile, some crypto industry players took the chance to tout Bitcoin yet again. I did. I was using the debates 2020 hashtag in Bitcoin a lot last night. As of press time Wednesday morning, the Trump 2020 perpetual contract that is traded on crypto derivatives exchange FTX declined by more than 7% during the hour of the debate from 43 cents before the debate to 40 and a half cents at the time of writing. Similarly, yes, Trump and no Trump tokens issued by the decentralized prediction market protocol Augur also shows the people think that Trump's chances of winning the election have decreased with the no Trump token now trading at 55 cents and yes, at 47 cents. However, market participants' outlook on the election looked less favorable for Biden ahead of the debate with the price of the yes Trump token at one point reaching nearly 50 cents before it corrected lower, according to data from CoinGecko. The price of the yes Trump token would go to US or USD1 if Trump wins the election on November the 3rd and expire worthless if he loses, while the no Trump tokens would move in the opposite direction. Although the crypto world's presidential prediction markets have given Biden the lead for now, for, however, many observers also agree that the debate represented yet another low point in American politics. Once again, the cryptoverse offered BTC as a solution. Quote, this debate was a landslide victory for Bitcoin, wrote Dan Held, growth lead at major crypto exchange Kraken, while Julian Hosp of Cake DeFi asks his followers, quote, so tell me how much faith do you have in the USD after watching 90 minutes of this madness of two people? Bitcoin fixes this. Meanwhile, the debate also brought some volatility to traditional financial markets with U.S. stock futures sliding lower on prospects of what observers like Northman Trader founder Sven Henrik worried may not be an accepted election result. And they give Sven's tweet that says, futures not liking the prospect that there may not be an accepted election result on November the 3rd. Also commenting on the debate from the vantage point of traditional finance was famous gold bug and Bitcoin critic Peter Schiff, who wrote on Twitter last night that the problem in his view is structural. Quote, when both candidates agree that the government should spend more, borrow more, and print more, and neither understands the nature of the structural problems that will precipitate the coming crisis, there's nothing of substance to debate. The result of the spectacle we just, I'm sorry, the result is the spectacle that we just witnessed, end quote. 
in the time of writing, Bitcoin was unchanged over the past 24 hours, trading at $10,716. Meanwhile, S&P futures were down by 0.7 for the day and gold prices were down by 0.5 to $1,888. And then there are some other reactions, but dude, you don't need to know them. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I'm just going to let you assume that the daily train wreck was the uh, presidential debate last night and just be done with it so that we can move right on into the funny. Dad says jokes has this one. As I put my car in reverse, I thought to myself, this takes me back. It certainly does. And if, if my Twitter feed is any indication of what the hell happened last night in the debate, this probably took us back. Honestly, at this point, I, I wasn't going to vote at all this year, but I'm seriously considering voting for the Libertarian Party just not because I'm like a total libertarian, okay? But because we, for a couple of reasons. One is I can't bring myself to vote for any one of the, <laughs> any of these two guys. I mean, seriously, I just can't. And voting at this point in my life is like, I know that it doesn't do anything because I didn't have, I didn't have say in who I even got to vote for. I should have at least a say in who gets up on the, on these stages. And there's, there's no mechanism for that. It's a popularity contest at that point. And if you're the president, well, you're the incumbent. Of course, you're going to be on the damn stage. So I got literally no control as a citizen of the United States, who the hell goes up on that stage or on any of them, no matter how early in the election cycle that we're at, I, I get this choice handed to me. It's like getting a menu in like business class on a shitty airline where there's like two things on the menu and it's like fish or chicken. And all you really want to say is they both look like they suck. Same here. So I, I've, I may go vote. I may just to just to allow the libertarians to have a maybe get them up over. I can't remember what they need a certain percentage to actually activate a third party. At least I might be able to do that. I don't know. I'm I'm completely on the fence about it right now because just the amount of bullshit is is just too deep. Anyway, if you guys survive the debate and the uh, apparently the uh, debate drinking game, I hope you have a good day at work. Hopefully I'm riding with you on the way and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.